Greetings, and welcome to the RPG Review Board podcast. You're listening to Episode 1. In this episode, the board administers their righteous judgment upon Blades in the Dark. Designed by John Harper and published in 2017 by Evil Hat Games. Blades in the Dark is inspired by Victorian and Gothic fiction and puts the players in charge of criminal organizations, such as thieves, smugglers, assassins, and more. Join us as the board convenes in support of the betterment of tabletop gaming. Come now, the honorable representatives of the RPG Review Board. Oh yes, oh yes, oh yes, all rise. The RPG Review Board is now in session. My name is John Case Tompkins. I am joined by Heidi Faith, Trey Gordon, Adam Lawson, and Nathan Stanley. If the judgment of this court helps you find a new game, help us by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your podcasts. Let's hear how everybody's day is going. Nathan, what's going on with you? Oh, you know, uh, things are going pretty well. I just got uh, a couple new board games recently. Been playing those. That's been a lot of fun. Um, I've been playing a lot of Valheim with Adam. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's that's been soaking up uh, an embarrassing number of hours. What what board games did you get? Um, let's see. I got Search for Planet X. You know, actually, I don't know if it's Planet X or Planet Ten. I think it's Planet X. Uh, but yeah, it's it's pretty fun. It's like solving a logic puzzle. You know those um those puzzles where it's like Mary doesn't like to live next to blue houses and the person in the blue house has a red car uh and you have to like solve the entire logic puzzle. It's kind of like doing one of those but in a board game. So you spent instead of just getting one of those books from the magazine rack for like 5 bucks, you spent what like $40. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Thing. Okay. Yeah. Just, uh, just but it's, it but way. it's a competition. So you can prove that you're smarter than all your friends. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> uh, speaking of uh, friends that uh, Nathan is purportedly <laughs> smarter than, uh, Adam, how you doing? Yeah. Oh, uh, can, can 100% confirm he is in fact smarter than me. Um, good, good. Yeah. Yeah. As far as nerd, nerd culture things, I'm finally getting back into Frostgrave, which is a D20 driven miniatures game, playing it with a friend of mine, which has got me back into painting miniatures again, which is something I haven't been doing. So my 3D printer has been alive with filament use. Um, <laughs> oh, also, uh, my, my parents gave me a sort of uh, an old school escape room style like dinner party game. Uh, it's come from a company called Puzzling Pursuits. Comes in huh. a in a just a plain plain uh, box. You open it up and it has envelopes inside that says detectives. Ten of our uh, police officers have been abducted by this criminal mastermind. You must solve them. And uh, you go to the site and you try to deduce all these things and you enter your guesses on the site and it tells you if you're right or not. Huh. I found it to be a lot a lot of fun. Is that you play that by yourself or? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's as many people as can crowd around a table. So sometimes I'll ask my kids to join in, my wife, uh, anybody. So no player count so much and no time limit. You just sort of do it, and it's it's a lot of fun. Nice. That sounds like nice. Fun. Speaking mm-hmm. of people that you have to kind of look around to find, Heidi, how are you doing? Is that a weird introvert joke that I hear, <laughs> sir? My goodness. It has hey. nothing to do with cats. Maybe <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. Actually, huh. funny you mentioned, I had a, the highlight of my day was 
we got a harness for our cat. <laughs> well. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> I know. I know what you're thinking. Somebody's cool. Um, yeah. 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 And it's not me at all. Um, no, we got a harness for the cat because uh, she's a little spaz. And uh, see, we can't get her outside without having her run off on us. Um, so, yeah, that that was a highlight of my day. Um, I haven't really played any games other than with you fine gentlemen lately. Um, exciting stuff. Over the weekend, yesterday, I watched a little wrestling pay-per-view, AEW Revolution. It was excellent. <laughs> excellent. Sorry we couldn't all be together and enjoy it together, you know, but but yeah, it was good times. <laughs> oh my Would have goodness. been the most fun we could possibly have wrestling, I suppose. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, and that brings me directly to someone I would very much like to see enter the wrestling ring, and that's Trey Gordon. Oh, uh, well. <laughs> Run out with my big giant belt of, I don't know. So my, my, uh, the, hi- the highlight of my day is I spent a lot of time crawling around on the floor looking for what is probably a dead mouse. But oh no! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, no. My 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 office had a funny smell in it yesterday, but there was no time to deal with it. So I thought, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna try. You know, I'm gonna put this off till tomorrow. And you know, uh, I today the smell was not gone, but it was less intense. And so I started like turning the room upside down, and I never found anything. Oh, so. Lord. Whatever okay. it was is probably still there, but still, there. Uh, still became. Uh, I will run across spores. it. Yeah, exactly. Its mummified body will come out one night, you know, to get me. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. When I think of Trey, I think of odd smells. That's the <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, well. <laughs> I mean, now I do. Now that this cat has a harness, it can lead you right to this mouse. I'm sure. Yeah, it can go. go. These two things go together. Yeah, it can get lowered in there like a like a rescue diver from a helicopter. (laughs) Yeah, Uh Yeah. Mission Impossible. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, hi! You can charge for this service. I could. I feel like the services of June Carter Cat. (laughs) Trey, Trey, what would your wrestling name be if you were a wrestler? Hmm. I think my wrestling name would be the same as my pirate name. Which is which is dead Clarence. Dead Clarence. When my daughter was it. small, when, yeah. When my daughter was small, which she no longer is, but when my daughter was small, uh, we each had pirate names, and mine was dead Clarence. I was thinking maybe you'd be the historian, and then your your catchphrase would be after a win, you'd go, "That's one for the history books." <laughs> Well, okay. Uh, I'll take that under advisement. All right. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Uh, okay, so we've got to we got to talk today about a game we have been playing for the last month, uh, and this is a game that is, I mean, it's an RPG, right? But it certainly doesn't feel uh, too much like D anD. It, it feels a little bit like. Uh, the D and D cousin that is the black sheep of the family, and when D and D went to school and learned all about numbers and started to make his way in the world, 
Uh, Blades in the Dark was hitchhiking across Europe and finding himself and uh, um, and ending up in some pretty pretty strange places. So this is one that Nathan introduced to us. So Nathan, can you just kind of uh, give us an overview of this thing, just from your perspective? I just want to know, like, how you found this thing and like, I know you love it. So like, what, what is it about it that you like so much? Yeah. So, um, I backed this game on Kickstarter a few years ago. Um, and yeah, I just really like it. Um, so it's, it's, uh, different from, uh, what you would consider like, um, classic i guess or standard role-playing games in that um there's there's a bit of a like a bizarro world going on it reverses the roles of the players and the gm um in in a typical role-playing game the the gm has kind of the most agency over the story they kind of bring the story to the players and the players react to it in blades in the dark if i was to just try and sum it up it's it's the exact opposite of that. The players make the decisions for the story. The players help describe the story, what's going on. They make all these connections and spin these tales. And it's the GM's job to react to what the players are doing and basically just, uh, you know, fill in a few of the blanks, play the bad guys in, in the story, play the, play the guards that are trying to catch our scoundrels. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so that's what I really like about it. Um, I also really like the setting. Uh, it takes place in Duskwall in a world where the sun is broken apart and the world has been cast into perpetual darkness. Uh, and the darkness brings with it thieves and scoundrels who, uh, are out to do, uh, to do crime. And, uh, your player characters are some of those scoundrels. So, um, you have a very well fleshed out world with a lot of like criminal gangs and, uh, and official institutions and such. And essentially your characters jobs are to form a crew and to get to the top of the dog pile, you know, to work your way up and, uh, and become kind of the masters of the criminal underworld. So, um, that's kind of the the plot and the setting in a very very brief aside, and uh, what I really like about it that reversal of player agency versus the GM's agency over the story. I really like about this game. And Adam, you've played this before too. Yeah, several times. So I've run it. I've also been a player uh, of the game as well, and it that is you know what Nathan said is really interesting in the. Uh, mechanics um, and the setting are also very t tied very closely. Um, I would say mechanically, um, some of the things that I find most interesting, I hope we get a chance to talk about more, are the clocks system. Um, playing virtually as we are all many doing these days. Um, and we were afforded the opportunity to play on Roll20 and seeing those clocks as they advance really push that sort of excitement forward. Um, but what I really like is the dice mechanics of the mitigated successes and i think that's how you push that uh story forward and so from my experience playing it the magic really happens when you roll the four or the five um and if we haven't said it yet the way that works is you chuck a number of dice you're looking for four fives and sixes but the fours and fives are successes but some interesting thing happens and that's my favorite part is where that magic happens in the fours and fives 
Yeah, and if I were to cut in there as well, that's also a lot of fun being on the GM side of things also because, um, like I said earlier, you are reacting to what the players are doing all the time. But a lot of your fun comes from when they roll that four or five. Uh, You don't get the feel bad of telling them that they didn't get to do the thing they wanted to do, but you do get to mess with them a little bit. You know, oh, the guard's ears perked up a little bit or, oh, yeah, the door squeaked when it opened or um, or now the 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 plans just starting to go awry in some small way. And that's a ton of fun being able to apply that pressure during during a, a job during a session. It totally is. Uh, but <laughs> Adam, Nathan and I have all had experience behind the screen. And so, um, you know, we love torturing players, I think. Uh, but for Trey, we keep uh, showing up to be tortured, player, too. How did you what was your approach to this? So we love this kind of mechanic because of this. Uh, it doesn't do that flat success fail that you see in a, a typical, like a, an RPG. Yeah. But when you walked into this thing, what did you think about these mechanics and the, and the, the dice pools and all that sort of stuff? Well, it, it took me a while to get my sea legs and, uh, you, you <clears throat> kind of told me about it a little bit before we started. We, we'd been talking about it, uh, be- before that first session when I, when I played with you guys, um, and so I thought, oh, this sounds great. This sounds amazing. I'm going to love this. And we went in, and it was hard for me at first to make myself do what I needed to do. I had been, you know, I started playing these games in, I don't know, what, 1979? Um, and uh, I've been doing it the same way all this time. <laughs> and um, so... Getting in there and just really buying into this whole idea that it's up to me to kind of make up the story um, was that, that was that was tricky. In my first couple of sessions, I was sort of back on my heels the whole time, you know, sort of watching everybody else do cool things and just sort of reacting. It took it took me a second to get to where I could do that sort of thing. Uh, that, that uh, as a new player to this game, that was one of the things that really, really grabbed me. Heidi, what about you? I know that you also mainly experience with D and D slash Pathfinder. This was a big leap for you too, right? Yeah, uh, like Trey, this was a little. Um, it's not that it was hard because you're it's just that for me i think it's so fast paced immediately there's already there's this fantastic world that's built up which for me is kind of was my favorite part of this game i love this world the whole the story <clears throat> setting to the different rival groups uh-huh. they just have the factions everything's just broken down really well and it's really clear but that's actually it's a little intimidating at first, especially because this is a little different. You don't spend a ton of time creating your character and going on this epic journey just to get from you know, point A to B to C. You basically start, and at least the way we did it, it was just like, you are in it. So, yeah, yeah if you've never played it before, that's a little, for me, it was intimidating. Obviously, as we went along, I felt better about it, and it's the kind of thing 
if this hasn't already been said, we, you know, for functionality of this podcast, we're not going to play these games for years and then report them. We're playing through a few times. So, you know, by the time we had kind of gotten up to this point, I feel good about it, but I could absolutely see myself continuing with it and kind of taking that and running with it even more. So, yeah. Well, yeah, I, I, I really kind of want to talk about that, what, what you started to talk about there about you, you start off in it. There's this mechanic in this game um, of flashbacks. So the, the session starts, you know, you, you've decided what you're going to do. And then the GM starts saying, okay, well, he, he, you know, you roll to see what kind of situation you're in when you start the session. You know, are you in, uh, what, what, what are the levels? You know, you can be in. They're uh, controlled, risky, or desperate. Right. So yeah. you could, you start off the game, you know, like the last session we played before, before we did the podcast, we, our, our, we, we had a heist to do. We rolled at the beginning. Situation is desperate. So instead of like working your way in and just, you start out the session um, the GM's like, okay, so you have broken into this house and um, you find yourself looking down the barrel of two rifles and, you know, there are a couple of guards who've got, got you in their sights. Go, you know, and and then you can say, quick flashback. Um, before we started this thing, I, um, I, I, I packed uh, a bottle of pepper spray. And I'm going to go ahead and unleash it on these guys now. I mean, I'm making this stuff up. None of that's what happened in any of our sessions. But but you don't... Th- there's not a boring part that leads up to the exciting part. You just start out in the exciting part. Yeah, it's... You're definitely... You're not waking up on a peaceful, quiet morning in the Shire. Right? <laughs> no, you're, no. You're in the middle of... Oh, crap. We're in the middle of this warehouse. It's on fire. There's a guard coming at you with a gun. Boom, what do you do? Right, right. So, but that's exciting. I mean, it maybe if you have high anxiety, it's not the game for you. I don't know, but. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair, yeah. Yeah, you know, but, well, uh, you know, it, it's good. I liked it. There's a, re- there's a reversal, I think, that happens here because your traditional um, sort of fantasy gaming experience is one, like, you, you adventure, you go into a dangerous place, you have a finite amount of resources, those resources slowly dwindle, and if we're looking just about the gamifying elements, the that it is pushing those resources as long as you can before you decide, you know what, nope, let's get out of here. So there's a lot of, in a, in a typical game like that, there's a lot of, uh, oh, you know what, let's, let's back out, let's come back another day, or guys, I'm, I'm down to my last spell. I can't do this. And this almost puts you at the reverse of that. You could think of it as, as sort of, you start at the bottom of the dungeon and you have to work your way back up again and your resources you spend while you are getting out of the bad situation you start in. Um, and that is, it is very different, but it, it is for the sort of gamer that likes to like plan and, and uh, check all the numbers and uh, evaluate probabilities. Ah, and, and gaming tries to train us that way, right? It, it, that's 
that's what most sorts of games like that are. And this one asks you to kind of throw that stuff that you've been learning about how gaming works away. Now we're starting quite literally a medius res and uh, you, yeah, you've got a gun pointed at you. Uh, the alarm bells are going off. What do you do? Um, so uh, Nathan, cause you were our, our GM, this flashback mechanic really is a very uh-huh. different sort of a thing. Can you just walk us through that again? Yeah. So um, essentially the way it works is this. Um, you, you get into a tough spot as is likely to happen when you are a scoundrel in Duskwall. Um, and you think to yourself, man, if only I had remembered to bring like a grappling hook in line with me. And then you think, oh yeah, I did think about that beforehand. And you say to the GM, hey, I'd like to establish a flashback where I'm outside casing the joint and I note, you know, a grappling hook in line would be really useful to descend from that second story window. Uh, and uh, I say, sure, yeah, you uh, you brought a grappling hook in line with you and uh, you take uh, two stress for that or one stress or basically however much uh, I, I feel like you're gaining, I'm going to charge you essentially, you know, zero to three stress for it. Um, stress being kind of a currency in the game that kind of manages how much of your character's special stuff they can do during a heist. So, um, yeah, so you'll you'll hear us mention that a lot, taking stress to do certain things. Um, but yeah, that's essentially it. It's um, I always equate it to the Ocean's Eleven style of, of uh, gaming where you're watching the heist in progress and you're like, ah, oh, how are they going to get past that, that uh, fingerprint reader? And then there's a flashback to somebody with the tape on the glass, getting the fingerprint off of the glass, you know, and then it cuts back to the action and they're using it. <laughs> That's exactly what it's like in blades in the yeah. dark. It's like, well, how are they going to get past that guard? Well, so happens that I knew that guard was going to be there and I prepared this thing just for it. That's that's I was almost thinking about the movie Memento a little bit as well, mm-hmm. it's just like you're trying to figure yeah. it out a little backwards. But I think that's a much better uh, um, comparison. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about um, well, actually, so we're talking about stress. Stress is something that shows up on the character sheet. So let's talk about the character sheet, because I think this character sheet is interesting in a lot of, of cool ways. One of which is this this stress function, which sort of works as hit points. It's sort of a resource, but it's also something uh, getting hurt in this game is real bad and you can't take a lot of hits, but stress allows you to mitigate it or avoid it and allows you to do all these sort of special things. And I, I don't know, I think that's, I think it's a really cool system and I, I enjoy the kind of stress indulge vice um, dichotomy uh, your characters uh, as they as they step away from the action uh, they go to gambling dens or um, you know houses of ill repute to uh, relax that relieves stress but there's always a uh, a possibility that you might overindulge and end up harming yourself or your or your gang in the process. I I think that's a really cool mechanic and it, it makes 
your it, it ties your character to this kind of seedy underworld really well. Anybody else like thoughts about that character shape? Yeah, uh, the I I I when I first saw it, I thought, okay, character so much in this game happens kind of offline. You know, there's the heist that you play more or less like a traditional role-playing game with the large differences that we just discussed. But um, outside of that, uh, so much that happens to your character happens literally on your character sheet. It just sort of plays out in front of you. And I thought, this is just going to feel like a bunch of bookkeeping. But it doesn't. It actually... Your, your your character advances, gets better at what it's doing through this process, you know, like you were leveling up in Pathfinder or something. But instead of just sitting there and trying to work this stuff out little point by point, you're actually playing it out. You know, like you said, if you're going to heal your, your stress, you go and you do this, uh, you know, I'm going to go indulge my vice and you roll and see how well that goes for you. And, uh, then things happen as a result of that that change your character sheet. Um, I, I guess it's a little, well, I was going to say it's a little bit like the way Traveler used to um, do character creation, uh, but that's that's really not a very apt simile. Um, what do you think, Adam? So one of my favorite things about the character sheet, it's super subtle, but like I mentioned about my jo enjoyment of the clocks, is the dots. You could just as easily write one, two, three, four, or five there. But I love filling in the oh, yeah. dots, and there's something about that that excites me. For those of you who have played World of Darkness games, it works the same way for that attribute. You look at how many dots you have, you grab that many dice. In this case, it's D6s instead of D10s. Um, but the dots have to be a thing because of the way resistance works. And I don't think we've talked about that yet. But basically, your attributes are divided into different categories. And you could be really great at something. Or you could be a little more varied in that category of thing. And uh, if you have at least one dot and all of the different attributes in that category, that's, that's, uh, you will be better at resisting um, harm that comes from that source. I love that mechanic. It makes your choices really interesting. It makes you decide if you want to try to lean into something to get better at the things you're already good at, or if you want to try to cover some holes in your, in your things that you're lacking. So from a, um, character creation standpoint, my favorite thing is the way the dots work and how they impact your resistances for trying to avoid harm. I actually, one of the things that you mentioned, uh, I think it was last uh, last session, you mentioned how much you enjoy the descriptions on the character sheet of how to gain XP, which is something that I really kind of appreciate. The As a dungeon master, your job is to create a world and, and create adventures, but the function of the game, the, the idea is like whatever characters or whatever players are rewarded for, that they will do, right? So classic D&D rewards you with experience for gaining treasure. Um, modern D&D rewards, I don't actually know how it works. It doesn't seem to follow any sort of logic. But this, <laughs> this put it does it's it's just sort of like well when daddy dungeon master feels like you should get a level then you get a level like okay um but this puts the 
a capacity for gaining experience points right on the character sheet. It's, it, there's a thing at the bottom that says, here are the things you do to get XP. If you do these things, at, at the end of the session, you can mark yourself with a point towards uh, XP of gaining various things. That is, I feel like that's incredibly empowering for a player. They look down at their sheet like, what, what could I do in this situation? Well, if I did one of these things, I could mark this off at the end of the session because uh, that will get me XP. So that can lead to role playing. It can lead to decisions that are subpar, which, as we all know, in D&D or any RPGs, the subpar decisions are the really interesting ones. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I I think that's a really interesting choice. Um, Heidi, you... you <laughs> I, I wager to uh, say that probably the last uh, character sheet you saw was something more like a and d character sheet. And this is not that. No, I think the last character, I think the last game I played prior to this was uh, Call of Cthulhu. So yeah, a little different. Um, uh, I, you know, the thing, again, coming into this, having not played it before and this being a, a slightly different kind of style, um, like I said, can be real intimidating, especially if you don't have a ton of experience in RPGs, which I don't. I mean, I've played, but not for years and years and all sorts of games. So it can be intimidating. I actually found this eh, to be just a pretty fast and easy way to go about it i appreciate if i would say anything it's just there's a lot of imagination they have put into creating these things but it's also concise it's like hey here's the point that you need it makes it very convenient for someone coming in that just is maybe a little timid a little not sure how to kind of oh am i doing the right thing it's it's all there and it's it's a pretty painless system if you will so yeah so it looks intimidating, but but becomes less so the more time you spend with it. Yeah, I'd say I'd agree. Yeah, I, I mean honestly, it's just it was just kind of I don't know, you know, like for me in setting it up, and I think also too having being middle of pandemic times, we're playing this on roll twenty. You know, it's you know, it, I was a little like, oh crap, I'm gonna have to do this all virtually in front of everyone. I'm not gonna know what I'm doing, but. Honestly, pretty painless, you know? I mean, it really just, it's just kind of, again, I appreciate how much effort that they have put into creating these characters, this world. It's a lot to take in at the first glance, but it is just set up for you to walk right into. That's, that yeah. I, I would say one of the things about the, characters that I do like is that they feel immediately connected to the world uh, and connected to each other. I love the fact that your group gets a character sheet that also oh, that's right. is something yes. you can advance some and it, it gives you, you look at that character sheet and it says, here are all of the things you could do to advance your gang's reputation, their, um, uh, their domain, their relationships with other gangs and other powerful entities in the city. And so your, uh, Nathan mentioned this earlier, the, the, the GM is not as much involved. It's really much more the player's choice. And a lot of that comes from that 
that group character sheet where you're looking like, guys, what do we want to do today? Let's do that or let's tackle that. Um, Having a character sheet, you know, because each player, of course, has a character and a character sheet. But the just to be clear, your group also has a character sheet, and the things on that character sheet affect what you you as individuals can do, and it also reflects your relationship to other groups in the world, because there are all these gangs and all these you know gr- groups, criminal groups and law enforcement groups, which which are essentially also criminal groups, um, interacting with each other, and your your standing with those other groups can rise or fall. That's recorded on this character sheet, and depending on what that standing is with these other groups, that affects what you can do, right? That's fascinating. And um, actually, <laughs> let's hit something about uh, those sheets and uh, about the characters in general from the other side. Nathan, you talked about running this game and, and how the roles are sort of reversed, but it's not as if the dungeon master, or sorry, the GM has no control right can right. Uh, adam mentioned clocks can you talk about the sort of tools that a a gm in blades in the dark has to um you know corral these bunch of ne'er-do-wells <laughs> yeah so um yeah you've got a, you've got a few different levers and knobs to twist right so um you mentioned clocks um and we also mentioned rolling a four or five earlier, um, which is when you succeed at doing something, but something happens. A clock could be a consequence of that. Um, and it's up to the GM when to, deci- when to decide to start a clock. And clocks are an abstraction of uh, something that takes place over time. So uh, when you're in the middle of a heist, a clock... Uh, the quintessential clock is the guard's suspicions. Uh, you would name it the guard's suspicions. And it's basically, you, you draw a little circle on a sheet of paper. You put, uh, you put four, six or eight wedges in that. Like, uh, like if you've ever seen a trivial pursuit, uh, little pie, you're going to make one of those. And then, um, you're going to fill in those wedges uh, whenever somebody fails a roll or gets one of those mitigated successes, um, or does something that you think would arouse the guard's suspicions. And it's just a way to abstractly show that the guards aren't dumb, but you're just really good at slipping by them right now, but you might do something that tips them off. Right. And as that, uh, clock fills up, um, it kind of, uh, puts a bit of, uh, of dread in the players that they're they're going to mess up. They're going to tip their hand. They're going to alert the guards. What's going to happen when that clock fills up? What's the GM going to do to us? Is there is there is there like a patrol of blue coats nearby that are going to storm the building? Is there a garrison here? Is there uh you know they're they're going to start thinking. They're going to start um you know wondering about the consequences of their actions. And if there's a theme to this game, it's actions have consequences. Um. You know, there's some other uh, other interesting uh, knobs and levers and such as well. Um, during a heist, uh, if I get to give you a consequence, I could start one of those clocks, but I could instead harm your character, uh, which is this game's way of of managing your character's health. 
Um, you don't have hit points. You don't have uh, a number that you tick down. Instead, you have a little chart that keeps track of level one, level two, and level three harm. And um, and whatever happens, I could give you a harm of some kind for failing at a task. And you usually theme that harm in some way to what they did. So if you fail at convincing somebody to let you into the back room, you're not going to get a broken leg. Um, but what you might get is shaken. Like you're not quite as sure about your ability to smooth talk people. And now you've got this harm that's going to follow you into downtime and you're going to have to spend time like building your confidence back up, uh, to remove that harm from you. It could be physical, which is kind of the more prototypical harm. Like I jumped from the second story window. Yeah. Broken leg seems to make some sense there. Um, uh, so yeah, you can make that harm kind of whatever you want. Um, the another consequence is just the position that the group is in as a whole during the heist. We mentioned earlier that there are uh, controlled, risky, and desperate positions. You can kind of think of those as the uh, they're they're the the uh, quantification of a heist going off the rails. The further you slip from controlled, the crazier and wackier things are going to get. Um, wackier may not be the best the best descriptor there because it's not exactly a comedy. Um, but uh, yeah, they'll definitely be grasping at straws to try and get out of situations. And the consequences you get to give people are much more dire in desperate situations than in controlled situations. Outside of heists... Um, you have uh, a thing called entanglements, um, and that's probably one of the primary ways to um, to kind of steer the ship some. Um, entanglements, you roll them on a chart, and they'll tell you, um, oh, uh, somebody in the crew or one of the crew's contacts gets interrogated by the bluecoats. What did the bluecoats learn about the organization, and how much heat does the does the crew receive? Um, one of the entanglements is imprisonment. One of the player characters gets thrown in the clink and, uh, you now have, uh, a, there's, there's an actual sheet in the book for, uh, that's much like your crew sheet, but it's managing your, your crew's, uh, turf in prison. So, uh, which helps determine like how good or bad that person's prison stay goes. Um, and, uh, you know, they can get out of prison later, particularly well off or or maybe not so much. So, yeah, there's there's a lot to be done there. Um, and then uh, the last thing I'll say before I stop talking, because I've been talking for a bit here, uh, is uh, there is a section of the game that is that is free play. Right. Where uh, and this is kind of uh, what some of the the uh, more story driven role players might be missing. Um, it doesn't have the, uh, the regimented dice rules that a heist does. It doesn't have the check off these various actions that downtime happens. This is where you can really stretch your legs as a role player and say, well, my guy, uh, really likes fine wine. So he's going to go to this, uh, bar and, uh, and drink and see if he can learn X, Y, Z about something going on in the city or that sort of thing. And, that free play section is also a good place for GMs to introduce interesting storylines and the likes. So just because you don't have agency over what the players do next, you know, what heist they go on doesn't mean that you, 
uh, have to stop telling a larger story that's happening in the world. It's just up to the players whether they want to engage in it or not. Yeah, true. Uh, Adam, you've you've played this uh, more than the rest of us, except maybe Nathan. What uh, and you've DM some. What do you, what tools do you like from the that side? Yeah, so uh, clocks is my favorite. Uh, I love it. I've never seen such a thing in another game, and it really shines here. It it is just you know such a perfect way to uh, you know demonstrate that sort of urgency that comes as your just your plan slowly falls apart now i say plan um but i do want to i do want to point out that a lot of that planning of a heist uh you know nate as our gm did a really great job of explaining that like don't don't spend so much time planning the heist if you were doing such a heist in another game system you would spend a session or two doing it and five minutes in and that whole plan would fall apart so the fun about this game is the entanglement roll at the very beginning and you just start, you know, right in the action. And so the the clocks help to manage that urgency that you offset because of your lack of planning. And uh, the other the other aspect of it that I really like as well, um, and it takes some getting used to, is that there isn't an initiative order. You don't take turns in a structured way. Um, and a good game master, as Nathan did for us, was to talk like it was an Ocean Eleven. He was the director, and he would say, "We're going to now put the camera on, you know, this scene and that scene." Um, and that doesn't mean other things aren't happening, but uh, your turn happens when it makes sense to happen, and sometimes that takes some getting used to as well. But clocks and lack of initiative is a big one. From the player's side, though, I hope we get a chance to talk a little bit about Devil's Bargain, because Devil's Bargain is a is a lot of fun. We we talked briefly about the idea of. You look at how many dots. Oh, the other thing is that the player tells the GM what skill they're going to roll and how they're going to use that skill in this particular instance. I'm going to seduce this door into unlocking. That's not going to be a great chance. You're not going to get a good success there. <laughs> um, but if you can convince, that's probably a bad example, but it's one Nate used and it was really funny. So, <laughs> uh -huh. yeah. so I... So I love that, um, but it does take some getting used to. It's such a no-no in every other at every other table for every other game system. Um, so I will say, uh, instead of finessing it, I'm going to bash it down, or I'm going to do whatever. And you tell him what skill you're going to roll, and he will tell you what type of, what flavor of success you're going to get from such an attempt. Um, so Clocks, Devil's Bargain is what I was going to talk about next, which was, um, okay, here's the deal. <laughs> the GM and the player come up with a scenario you can make sure that this event happens but you've got to give me a little something narratively um to, to push you know you're going to get the good but you got to take the bad we've had a lot of really creative devil's bargains and i'm sure every table at every blades in the dark game has a story about a crazy devil's bargain that someone's made well and the devil's bargain i think is one of it's the thing that i most enjoy about this but it's also the thing that sometimes um uh makes this rule set not quite connect with its setting because the setting is this kind of relentlessly dark um end of the world sort of uh, you know like you know you're just trying to survive you're sort of fiddling while rome burns and the uh, this mechanic can turn it into a 
a kind of a Coen Brothers movie where just like crazy stuff happens. And again, I like this mechanic. I like it a lot because what you essentially say you're 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 asking to add to your dice pool because this is a dice pool based game. You're asking to add to your dice pool, but in return something bad happens for sure. So rather than waiting for the uh, storyteller, the the game master to uh, assign some setback or a wound or something bad happened as a result of you rolling a four or five or lower. You just say, hey, listen, this happens for sure. And then, um, you know, and then we, uh, then I get another die to roll. That is fun. It's so much fun. But it's also just, it's just, you're at you're rolling craps man you're at the table in vegas surrounded by people cheering you on you know put it all on black man let it ride let it ride (laughs) (laughs) so Um, give us an example give us an example of the devil's bargain oh um well i i just remember um oh boy um there was the one from our previous game where um what was it uh you were you were uh trying to basically kidnap somebody and the devil's bargain uh involved him basically going out the window <laughs> yeah and that happened like yeah just and you know you successfully got him out of the building it was yeah. unfortunately via defenestration instead yes. of uh via the stairs like you had hoped Yes. Right. So, so, and, so, uh, so, essentially, the mechanic, the mechanic is, I say, you know, I, I, I want this extra die to roll, um, and I'm willing to make a devil's bargain for it. And you, as GM, says, well, okay, um, if you succeed, you get him out the window, but he's fallen two floors. You know, like, well, okay, yeah. I'll take that. You know, so he's falling. He's gonna fall. Um, whether you succeed or fail, now, but uh, how are you gonna roll with it? Can I, um, can I make a a plea for? The Devil's Defenestration being the title of this particular episode of the podcast. Um, I'll write it down. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, that's sort of DM side of it. Heidi Trey, what did you think of The Devil's Bargain? After you, Heidi. Oh, no, please. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so polite we are. Um, I, for me, I, I enjoyed the, the devil's bargain. I think it, it's, it, it's just very interesting, right? You know, cause it's just like life, nothing's ever easy, you know, and nor should it be right. You know, um, so it, it definitely, it's just another way to throw in some high stakes, you know, and, and to kind of just spice it up a little bit, which I actually like that. I thought it was it's interesting when, you know, you have your, you and your crew are already like, oh man, the building's on fire. This is happening. What's, what else? Oh crap. Now I have to choose this or that. Ah, like I like that. Um, I, the, the clocks, I don't know. I think like that whole thing again, kind of stepping into this, I wasn't familiar with that. Uh, you know, I know Adam loved it to me. There is a certain weird, I think there's a thing I have with the pressure that it creates that it makes me <laughs> panic. That uh. I don't, I'm 
sorry, Adam, I'm going to have to disagree with you. I'm so sorry, but (laughs) (laughs) fight, fight, fight. No, I, to me, but I'm also the person that like, if I'm at a restaurant ordering, I can have my thing picked out. The server can come up and I'll panic and order something else. (laughs) I don't know what it is. So I, I think there is something about when you see the clock go up, you're like, Oh no, like crap. We get run out of time. Also, I'm always late for things. So I think there's this, just calling it a clock freaks you out. Yeah, I think this is like a logical thing there that I'm like, I hate this. I hate this. No. For Heidi's um, sake, from now on, we'll call it a pie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> See, I love pie. Pie's the yeah, best. Sure, yeah. <laughs> well, now, the devil's bargain for me was, uh, it was, it's sort of like this, that, that, that thing I was talking about earlier, how it was hard for me to kind of get on board for the first session or two with it um, because it was so much different from the way I'd ever played any role-playing game before. But yeah, I ended up really liking it because you can always turn it down. You can say, I want an extra die. What, 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 what devil's bargain will you give me? And Nate might say, well, okay. Uh, uh, the devil's bargain is that um, you're going to lose your rifle down the sewer um, because you know, you're going to hit this guy with the rifle. You need an extra die. Um, you're going to, you know, the, the, the stock is going to break and, you know, whether you hit him or not, you're going to lose your rifle. It's like, ah, nah, I won't do that. Um, I'll just take the two dice instead of three and, and hope for the best. So um, you can always turn the thing down, but you're right. It adds this sort of crazy kind of uh, almost, at least when we played, this almost silliness to the, to the thing. You're like, ah, I'll take it. Let's do this. You know, the clock and, I liked it as a player um, because, again, it was this, probably for the same reason it freaked you out a little bit. You know, it's like this representation of how how things are ramping up, you know. Um, and, you know, you can start to sort of feel yourself sweating as the clock ticks along. Um, but one of the things that I think I noticed about this game, you know, not being a, a GM myself... Um, that is one of the many things, just like rolling four or four or five on the dice, so many things this game does that give the GM the ability to make this exciting game without having to plan it all out way beforehand. You know, the the, the hobby's been around long enough that there are guys like me who, you know, have families and jobs and, you know, when I first started playing this game, I was in the seventh grade and we had all the leisure time in the world, you know, and we could make up all, you know, these crazy, you know, deeply detailed worlds and adventures. And now we don't have that much time. And so I'd like you guys to talk, if you would, a little bit about how that affected you. It seems to me like it would allow you to, um, do these exciting adventures without having to spend a lot of time ahead of time preparing for this because you can't prepare. We're going to make it up as we go along and the game gives you these engines that you can use to to create an adventure out of basically thin air. Um, is that is that how it felt for you guys? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let Nathan answer this and, and Adam because I've never run this game, but just... Uh, one brief last aside for clocks. I, if I ever were to run this game, I would get, I would print out a, a map of the city and I would put a clock on there and not name it, and just every once in a while advance it 
Oh no! <laughs> and you guys are like, wait a minute, what does that mean? What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> By the end of every uh, session, I'm just in tears in the corner. Like, oh. <laughs> what does it mean? There's no crying in Blades in the Dark. <laughs> so, also, before I answer this question, another aside to that aside about clocks. I want my question is, answered. Is that, uh, <laughs> is that in the back You're of the book, with it's me. got, that's right. In the back of the book, it's got all this information about all these various uh, crews and, and, and whatnot. All of your rival thieving crews that are out there, the lamp blacks and the red sashes and, and the bill hooks and all these guys, right? Um, each one of those has a clock on it. They're, they're all doing stuff too. So uh, if you're playing according to Hoyle and if you are a GM that likes to keep track of all that stuff, all the goings on in the city, you can quite literally keep track of what are the, what are the bill hooks doing? Have they finished that clock for that project they're working on? And then that just kind of feeds into more storytelling as well. So clocks are everywhere in this game. And yeah, like I said, they're just an abstraction of things that take place over time. So um, so. To Trey's question about preparation for uh, for games, yeah, I did almost zero preparation for our games. Um, I think maybe the most preparation you would want to do, uh, for me personally anyway, maybe maybe other GMs will find, find it different, but for me personally, the most preparation I would do is maybe have a map or two of like, uh, this is a warehouse, this is a, this is a mansion, this is... Uh, a little bit of sewers or whatever, but so much of the game takes place uh, from the agency of the players that there really isn't a whole lot in the way of planning when it comes to the heist. I have no idea where you guys are going to go at the start of the game. Um, on the one hand, uh, that means that as a GM, you're going to have to be pretty nimble. You're going to have to think on your feet. You're going to have to be ready for nearly anything because you don't know if they're going to be robbing a liquor store or if they're going to be robbing Fort Knox or if they're going to be assassinating the president. You have no idea what they're going to be up to before the start of the session. You're just going to have to roll with whatever they give you. Um, on the other hand, it means that I get off work at five, I get home, you know, log in at six, we're ready to play. I didn't have to do any sort of preparation or, or anything because I can't prepare. Um, the other thing I would mention as well is that, um, unlike a lot of role-playing games, um, and this kind of dovetails into a note I have, which is I want to talk about combat a little bit later, but I will say that this game largely takes place in a theater of the mind. Um, I think it's nearly, I would, I would, I wouldn't call it impossible to run on a battle map. I would say you could probably do that, but there's a very big butt attached to that, which is, um, you know, your character sheet doesn't have a speed on it. So you don't know how fast these characters actually move. Um, and so much of the game is played or, or not necessarily played, but so much of the game is laid out in abstractions. I just finished talking a bunch about clocks and how they're an abstract measure of a thing that takes place over time. Um, harm is just an abstraction of the various dents and dings your character has taken. A coin is an abstraction for a pouch of money. Uh, this game is all about abstractions and letting the players fill in all the little details. So, um, you know, maybe having a map 
for uh, the mansion that you guys are going to rob, maybe that isn't necessarily the best thing. Maybe instead we just theater the mind the thing, because who knows uh, where they're going to go, what they're going to do. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe the map of the city is enough because so much of the game is played um, by filling in the cracks that are left behind by, uh, purposefully so, the cracks left behind by the game. It leaves so much of the detail to be filled in by the players. Yeah, and for my contribution, I guess I've only run it a couple times, but I would say that if you are planning for a Blades in the Dark game, as long as you're planning for a D&D game, you have now just planned potentially 17 sessions or so. Um, you need some bullet points on an index card. Otherwise, you're kind of doing yourself a disservice because you may for find yourself trying to steer the game like you would uh, in another system in a way that the, the, the game's designed for the players to direct that sort of action. So... Um, and as far as the other piece, you know, you can't really have a game about heists that encourages minimal planning without a flashback system, right? In the same way, you can't really have a, a game where the GM doesn't take actions, only reactions, without something like a clock. A place to dump this resource when somebody rolls a four or a five. A uh, place to, to put this, this mitigated success. I just think that the way they did that with the clocks and with the flashbacks was was particularly elegant, so... Um, those are the dials you turn and you get, you got to have a place to stick those mitigated successes. Yeah. Especially what you mentioned about the clocks there. Um, I, I had talked at length earlier about some of the things you can do as, as consequences for mitigated successes or failures. Um, there were several occasions when, you know, Heidi does a thing. She rolls a four, she does the thing, but something happens. And I'm like, well, what bad thing happens when she, did that and you're kind of scratching your head and you're going i don't know i i don't really i don't really have something ah but i do have a clock i can start there's almost always yep, every time, I, every time. that's right um that's right she rolls a four and i insolently draw a clock on the table um <laughs> And, uh, <laughs> um, but, but there's almost, I mean, if, if I had, you know, if, if, um, if I had one takeaway from, um, you know, the various consequences that you can give people, there's always a clock you can start. There's always a clock you can advance. Um, and it's such a great way of, as Adam said, kind of dumping some of those resources when the game hands the GM something on a platter and says, hey, you get to do something terrible to your players right now and you can't think of something terrible to do. Well, there's a clock. Clocks always ended something terrible. Uh, OK, so Nathan, I want to hear more about this. You mentioned combat, so I want to get back to that. But um We've been talking a lot of DM stuff for a while, and I want some player perspective here. Uh -huh. um, one of the things I tend to look up, look at in games like this is uh, how long I think I can play it. Like, what's the shelf life? And a great deal of that has to do with characters, with sorry, with players being interested in their characters in uh, what you might call modern D and D slash Pathfinder a great deal of that interest is shaped by the leveling up system, right? You are uh, gaining power, uh, you're gaining experience, which gains you power, gains you access to more features of your class or whatever it is. And so there's a carrot that's always drawing you on to, um, you know, yeah, play this more, um, 
get farther with your character, go a little bit more. Um, for this game, if, if you're looking at this as a player and the characters that you rolled up, could you see yourself playing this long term, like eight months, a year, two years? What do you think? Hmm. Yeah, um, I gotta, let's, let me think about this. The, my attachment to this character, um, for Blades in the Dark, um, was, I was a little bit less attached to him than I would be to a Dungeons and Dragons character, for instance. Um, part of that, I think, is the level of abstraction of uh, you know all of all of his abilities and all the things that happened to him? There's this level of abstraction that kind of separated me from him a little bit, and I, and, and I want to emphasize that it's a little bit. It's not like I just didn't care about him or anything. It's just a different. In Blades in the Dark, at least the way we played it, um, I didn't, I didn't, you know, I don't know, conceive of this character as lovingly as I would. A a D and D character, you know, the the character creation process didn't didn't really encourage that. Um, but the flip side of that is, um, I could very quickly um, have made another character to continue. I would have been very happy to have done that. His 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 death would not have been as stressful to me. If he had died, which incidentally, de death in this game isn't quite like it is in other games. You're not really dead usually, if I remember right. We talked about it a little bit before the game started, um, but it never happened to any of us, so it never got to play characters out. Characters retire but... after they have sort of had their yeah. fill of a life of crime. You, your characters, that that um, that stress that you are managing leads towards uh, a point at which your character can retire. But I agree with you, Trey. I have found, I have felt that these this character, the characters I play in the game, are much more like interesting pieces on a board rather than somebody I identify with. Yeah. Like this, this is this is me in this game. Uh, Heidi, what about you? I, I would agree with that. Uh, both of your sentiments. Um, while this is incredibly fun and fast paced, and you're right into it. I think that adds to uh, exactly why the attachment isn't so deep. You know, if you have a D and D character die, not to be dramatic. Well, yeah, to be dramatic, it's devastating. You know, like because you're just like, oh no! Like I, you come up with everything for this character, and you half the time have to read a whole book about like, oh, how can I do this? Can I do that? This, again, with the way that the characters are created in this, it's fast, it's easy. Um, so, yeah, you maybe don't, it's, again, not that it's not fun, not that you're not attached to it. It's just maybe not as deep on that level. Um, but, like, I think Trey pointed out, it, it's actually, when you die in this, you don't necessarily die. Like, you know, whereas, you know, like... So, yeah, it's a little different. Um, as far as ongoing play, 
I can see this being fun and I could definitely see myself playing it like longer term. I don't know how realistically long you could really have a, a at least with the same character. I don't know how long you could make that go. Well, it's it's an yeah, it's an interesting point uh actually because I I feel the same way. I don't know that I would care long term enough about this character to to see how far he goes. But um what Heidi and Trey both said there about like, well, he could retire or she could retire. That's an interesting thing in that it means the game can technically continue with a new character. Usually your characters die in like a D and D game and it's like, well, TPK end of campaign. But because this game focuses on building an organization, you can continue the campaign with new characters who are part of the organization who are just stepping into the roles vacated by the previous player characters. That's interesting. It, it, it makes for a very different kind of continuity. It's the, our story may be over, but the story of this, this gang, this faction, whatever will continue. That's not for everybody, but it's a very it's a very different sort of approach. Yeah, I, um, I I think I could I think I could play the game long term, you know, because it, it may be you know we played this game for a month, right, and uh, it may be that you know if we played it a little longer, we might all get attached to the gang because it's got its own character sheet and it has its own advancement, right? So. Um, yeah, just bring another character and a new gang member. Here he is. You know, we're going to keep going. We've still got all these relationships with all these other gangs around town. Things are advancing. I could see that happening to a group of people and just getting really invested in the career of this organization that they've started. I could see that. That's actually a really interesting point, considering that the gang itself is a character. that. Yeah, that it has its own character sheet. And yeah. yeah. Nathan, you wanted to talk about violence? Yeah. Um, yeah, violence is fun in this game anyway. Um, well, the thing I really wanted to talk about, and I guess um, maybe uh, not as much about combat, but just actions in general, um, and Adam kind of touched on it a little bit earlier, is as a GM, you do not take any actions. Um, the GM only responds to the actions taken by the players. There's no initiative order when you think it's your turn. It's your turn. You do a thing. And uh, if you roll a one through five, that means something is going to happen that isn't according to plan. And uh, that's when the GM gets to take his action. Um, this is really, uh, this really kind of pops in combat though, uh, where, um, oh, I'm finding this guard, right? I try and stab him with my sword. So uh, you roll to see if you hit him. Uh, you roll a four. Yeah, you stab him, but he also kind of stabs you a bit, right? So I never actually roll an attack. Uh, it's just that because you rolled a four, yeah, you got stabbed while you were fighting him, and I give you some sort of harm, right? Or, or um, you know, he grazes your ribs, or or he... Uh, he he hits you with his truncheon or something like that. So I, uh, I really like that, um, sort of 
uh, call and response between the players and the GM. The player goes, I want to do this. I'm going to roll this uh, ability to do it. And then you roll. And then based on that roll, the GM gets to say, oh, well, they respond in this way. This bad thing happens or whatever. And I was just uh, I just wanted to kind of call attention to that and see uh, what the rest of you guys thought about that sort of um, almost call and response nature of this game rather than the it's a little different than the the normal like, uh, you know, the, the standard uh, I want to do this thing. And then the DM or GM says, OK, roll this. And then you roll it and then they say you did it or you did not do it. So I was just kind of curious what you guys thought of that. Well, it it was, I, I, I'm trying to think, you know, we, we, we played over, over discord. So I couldn't really see what you guys were doing. Um, did you ever roll a die anytime, Nathan, when we were, when we were playing this game? Um, according to the book, I roll, I roll engagement dice, which are the dice determine that determine like what position you guys are in when the action starts, like has right. the plan all gone to hell or is everything going to plan, etc. Technically I roll those dice, but seeing as that's the only reason to bring dice to a game, I usually just have a player roll it for me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so in a way. Right, and then, right. yeah, yeah, we can all blame Trey because he rolled the <laughs> dice, and that's why the building's on fire. <laughs> well, yeah, so, so it's I like that mechanic a lot. You know, it's like because you're really hoping for that six. You know, six is an unmitigated success. You succeed, and there are no repercussions. Right? You you took a swing at that guard, you rolled a six, you knocked him cold. He goes down like a felled ox. He, you know, like a like a bugbear poleaxe by a monk. And um, he doesn't get to say anything, right? Um, but you roll that four or that five, you know, like you were saying. Yeah, you know, I kind of liked it. It, it. it made it feel sort of dynamic and real, and it also made me feel like I had a measure of control, perhaps that I didn't, you know. Heidi? Yeah. No, I, I think uh, there's a lot of kind of freedom in that. Um, and I think essentially, unless your GM hates you, you know, like, <laughs> I feel like they're kind of rooting for you to do fun stuff too, right? So, like, unless unless they hate you, which I don't think that uh, Nathan's known us long, me at least long enough to hate me yet. So, hopefully. I think he hates Case a little bit. <laughs> I think yeah. he hates Case. He, he hates Case just case. a little. I mean, but don't we all? Come on. Yes. Come on. Yeah. It's Case. Ugh. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, I feel like unless your GM is rooting against you, which, why would they, right? No, you know? like, everybody it, wants the game to be fun, right? Right. You know, so it, it creates, it's, it's a little fun. You can kind of give, you know, the twist when you want. Like you said, you can get shot, but, oh, it's not fatal. You just got, you know, grazed your arm or something you're hurt and that you know it's just another layer of kind of creativity and interest which for me was really engaging so yeah guys we've uh we've hit the the big stuff we've hit some of the little stuff and i think that it's time to do a little bit of a sort of lightning round around the table there are a lot of different groups out there a lot of different play styles. There are some games that I would never run with some groups and uh, vice versa. So if you're a dungeon master 
looking for a new game or a player uh, maybe wanting to kind of sweet talk their GM into playing something new, who just sort of go around the table here. Uh, who is this game for? Who would you recommend this for? What type of player? What type of group? Nathan, what do you think? So uh, I think this game really shines uh, with players that are willing to kind of put themselves out there and, and help write a story, right? Um, in, in many games, and I've kind of mentioned this a little earlier, but uh, in many games, the, the, the GM kind of brings the story to the players and the players react. In this game, it is very much the opposite of that. The players are going to write the story. They're going to say, yeah, we're going to go and rob a train. Uh, and that's a part of the story now. And you just, as the GM just kind of have to react to that. So, um, the, the players that I think that should be playing this game are ones that really like having agency over the story. They like having their decisions have an impact on the world and, uh, they are not afraid to get out there and do some cool stuff. Adam, what do you think? Yeah, there's a there's an aspect of a game like this that we haven't really touched on yet. It's probably been a good 20 years since I have played in a game where all of the players are bad guys. Because 20 years ago when I did it, it was terrible. Playing evil campaigns don't last. They inevitably break that social contract and they fall apart because chaotic evil is hard to manage as a game master. If you have a group, who wants to play bad guys and they all want to play bad guys this this has a good mechanism for codifying them and because that player or because that group has a sheet and you all begin to care about it even after your character's gone this is a good outlet for characters for a, for a game master who has a group that have characters that want to play bad guys Trey what do you think um so i would recommend this game for uh for people with a little bit more experience, you know, I'll echo what everybody else said about, you know, people who are willing to go there, you know, players who are willing to put in the extra energy, you know, and uh, lead the way. Um, I, I know people, um, because we're all special kinds of nerds, I know people who do improv comedy. Um, generally, I wouldn't suggest this game for a new group of players who've never played before except those guys, you know, if they didn't already play D and D, which they do. But if I, if I knew a group of improv comedy of people who'd never, yeah, who, who, who had never played role-playing games before. Um, and I wanted to introduce them to role-playing games. This might be the, the game to do it with, right? You know, people who are quick on their feet and, um, like to laugh and, uh, can, you know, like I said, can go there. Heidi, what about you? I'd recommend it for nerds. <laughs> nerds. nerds. Shut nerds. up, man. Nerds. Who are you calling nerd, nerd? <laughs> no, I, I, I honest, I agree with everything you guys. I'm gonna second everything you guys say, and I'm gonna say this. You do. I, I think it's. You don't have to have experience. I think it's obviously helpful if you've at least played some type of game before. But I, I think more than anything. The key for me is, are you somebody who likes, like, fantasy? Are you into, like, dystopian kind of novels? Do you like, I don't know, do you like Ren Fairs? Do you, like, things like that. Just kind of fantasy, those kind of things that you can kind of get into. I mean, 
I don't know. Like it's it's a lot of steampunk make believe. Do you just kind of want to get into this and create a world? Like you don't have to have a experience. I had no experience playing this. I did have have experience playing other games. But again, I don't know how much that helped me because this was a very different way to play. So I don't think you have to go into it with full experience, but it helps. But I think the biggest key, bottom line, you got to just want to dig into that creative thing, which I think it backs up what Trey is saying. It, you know, it, improv comics, right? They, they're willing to kind of get out there and just make up anything off, off the cuff. So, yeah. Yeah, my recommendation is I would give this to a group of GMs who want to role play and want the night off from dealing yeah, with their with their player good. characters because you need a, a, a good deal of creativity. This game demands it of you. It allows you to be creative, but uh, the person who's actually running the game isn't running all that much. And GMs, I mean, we all have these God complexes where we we think our plan is best. And this actually rewards you for doing that. It rewards you for the sneaky plan, for the the convoluted uh, scheme or plot. And yeah, I think it's, uh, I would, if you want a group, if you want to get your a group of your GM friends together and play this game and bitch about your player characters in your regular game, that's, that's who should play this. Um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> hey, so we're, you we're, love we're us. Yeah, we're coming up on the end of the... Uh, no, I don't. Um, <laughs> no, I don't. Nope. Um, I, your bad. suffering amuses me. That's why I run a game. Um, we're coming up at the end of the hour here, and I wanted to go ahead and have everybody put put a line in the sand here. So uh, once again around the table... But this time, I want you to give this game a grade. And the grade we're using, because I'm a teacher, um, and because that's how I think, is your traditional sort of English school, uh, grammar school grade. So does this game get a pass, a fail, or a high pass from you? Um, Let's go around the other way. Heidi, pass, fail, or high pass, and why? I'm going high pass. Uh, again, I thought this was really fun. Um, going into it intimidated, came out of it feeling like, man, I could totally do that more and enjoy that. The I like the setting. For me, I like dystopian kind of um, that gritty kind of dark, you know, it's a world that's been kind of destroyed. The sun is out. Everything's, it just automatically, the setting alone opens up this realm of kind of possibility and mystery and intrigue. To me, I think that is already super fun. Um, I think, yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to, I'm trying to gracefully expand on that and I'm not doing that well. Sorry. Uh yeah, I think that's fine. I think that's a that's a great reason to love it. Okay. Trey, what, right. what from you? Well, um, I too enjoyed this game a very great deal. I'm going to give it a pass. Um, and my my qualm is this. 
a lot of people who play these games, and I'm one of them, um, they want a world that is immersive, right? And we talked a lot about the world and how much fun the world is, and it is. It's this dark, and in its way, it's immersive, but um, it is not Greyhawk. You know, it is it is not um, some, some, you know, Faerun. Um, uh, it's... It, 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 it asks a very... If, if you're a person who's really into the world, this world asks a very great deal. It, you know, to, to, to paraphrase uh, Tolkien um, in one of his essays, disbelief has not so much to be, you know, set aside as drawn and quartered, right? Um, <laughs> you know, you've got a world that has like... It's, I, I don't remember what the... Something like it's... it's flown off its orbit its sun is gone you know there are these black oceans full of leviathans but the sun is gone what are the oceans doing still liquid i mean (laughs) you know um and it's still engaging i still enjoyed the world um uh i was able to overlook those things but if a person is really into fantasy world building um a, a world that feels real in spite of the fact that it isn't, this is not that world. Yeah. No, it's very anime. And for me, that's an yeah. insult. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Adam. Uh, so I would give Blades in the Dark a pass. There are just a, a few too many asterisks to make it a pie pass for me that I would pitch it to every uh, potential role player. The world and the mechanics tied together. The, they're, not every action is codified. And you kind of have to play as bad guys. All these different sort of nuances there. Um, I wouldn't give it a high pass quite yet, but I think if you know if those asterisks hit the right group, I would definitely pitch it to them. I give it a solid pass. Yeah. So um, I think I might surprise some people, uh, and I'm going to give this a pass rather than a high pass that I think uh, maybe was expected of me. I I do think that. Um, as a GM, this game is a ton of fun to run uh, because you do spend your time uh, you spend your time reacting to the things that the players do. You don't really have anything to plan. You can basically sit down with the book. You don't even need dice, uh, like I said, except for that one roll, and then you just have a player do it for you, so you can blame them. Um, and and I think uh, you know that's that's really fun for me. I personally really, really like this game. So my caveat is that a a a uh, a game master like me, who I prefer myself to be very extemporaneous and think on my feet, and I don't like planning. I love this game. However, uh, I feel like I may uh, uh, I don't have any numbers to support this, but I feel like I might be in the minority in that group. I think uh, game masters tend to be a bit more organized and prepared than I am. And um, I think game masters that like to prepare and get things ready for a game like that, I think they're going to be a little disappointed in just how off the rails any plan you possibly make will go as soon (laughs) as the players get a hold of it because they have so much agency in this game, like you won't get your plan through. So for me, I think I'm going to give this a pass. Um, I think personally it's great for me, but I think for the majority of GMs, which is kind of the direction I'm approaching this from, I think it's kind of, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be difficult. That's, 
yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. And it's, it's, it's one thing that figured into my grade for this game. Uh, but the, uh, so my grade for this game is fail. Uh, I would, I would play this game again with friends because I like spending time with my friends, but I would never run this game and I would not, I would not necessarily recommend it to someone and, and uh, very, let me give you a very simple description of why. Would you just imagine this for a moment with me? Peaky Blinders, the RPG. <laughs> you could use the exact same system, put it in a recognized real world that people who, even if you don't know the show, you don't follow it, you can catch up on it very easily. And it is our world. It's in the past, but it's our world. And uh, if you strip out all of this um, uh, crazy anime nonsense and the weird words and all of that um, sort of the, the, the fantasy setting that feels as if it's the setting for a trilogy of novels that I'm not aware of, that people didn't write, um, and put it in a world that people could recognize. I think you would lower the bar of entry. I think you would get people um, uh, more attached to their characters because there's there's something real about them. I don't know. Um, it just it just doesn't just doesn't meet the bar for me. I wouldn't run it. Um, but uh, and that's perfectly fine. Um, so, um, okay. So we have high pass from Heidi. We have pass from Adam pass from Trey pass from Nathan fail from myself. Uh, there you have it folks. And you can check out this book. Uh, Nathan, tell us where you can find this book. Yeah, you can uh, purchase it from evilhat.com forward slash store. Uh, it's available for $30. Okay, and it is available now, both in print and PDF. And one more thing left to do. Let's check out those rules on grappling. <laughs>